This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is North Dakota U.S. Senator John Hoven. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer Crop Science and the Habitali app. Learn more about how you can help monarch butterflies at farmersformonarchs.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with U.S. Senator John Hoven next. The U.S. Department of Fish and Wildlife will soon be making a recommendation to add monarch butterflies to the nation's endangered species list. Crop Science, a division of Bayer, is encouraging farmers and landowners to plant habitat, including milkweed, to help this very important species of pollinators. Then download the app, Habitali, and record habitat that already exists, as well as your new efforts to protect monarchs. For more information, visit FarmersForMonarchs.org and be sure to record your efforts by May 31st to the Habitali app. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. North Dakota U.S. Senator John Hoven sees the COVID-19 pandemic from multiple perspectives as a member of the Senate committees on both agriculture and appropriations. Hoven says the pandemic creates some very unique challenges. Well, you know, it really is different. On the one hand, you've got everybody, you know, in essence, sheltering in place. So that really takes down demand. But it also makes it hard for essential workers to get out there and work in the workplace. And, of course, our, you know, our processing plants are, are a real example of that. And so there's a, there's a lot of different things that have to be done to make this work in terms of the response. And in the ag industry, that means uh, not only making sure that we are supporting our farmers and ranchers like we're trying to do, you know, uh, increasing the food distribution uh, program so that uh, people make sure that they have uh, access to food, but then also taking steps to keep that supply chain intact. So then thinking about the CARES Act, it specifically targeted funds towards some identified commodities or specific areas of the food production system. Now we're talking about phase four. What groups appear to you underserved or in more critical need of assistance? First, in terms of the producer, one of the challenges we had was assisting our, our livestock producers. We do have under the farm program, the uh, you know the LIP uh, program, livestock indemnity program, and uh, ELAP emergency uh, loan assistance program. Uh, but by and large, even though we've been providing assistance to our uh, farmers through things like the market facilitation uh, payment program. Um, you know, really, other than some marketing assistance, livestock had been left out. So one of the things that I included in the CARES Act uh, is uh, not only more funding uh, through the uh, uh, reimbursement for the Commodity Credit Corporation for both farmers and ranchers, but also specific language that would allow us to provide direct assistance to our livestock producers. So that's, you know, that's why you, you see that in the coronavirus food assistance program that USDA has under consideration right now is because we've got that additional authority as well as uh, almost $25 billion in funding, uh, you know, for that assistance, which includes both the producer side but then also the uh, food distribution side. And on the food distribution side, you're seeing that USDA is really working to come up with innovative and creative ways to distribute food as rapidly and as well as possible when we're constrained by, you know, this need to shelter in place as far as uh, our uh, processing facilities and our, you know, normal distribution network. Renewable fuels, including ethanol, had its own challenges in 2019, and now this has hit. To the best of my knowledge, ethanol has not seen any support from any of these programs so far. 
are they on the list or should they be on the list for phase four? Yeah, that's, you know, absolutely. That's under consideration as well. Obviously, there'll be assistance for our corn producers, both in the coronavirus assistance that we're talking about, the $19 billion. But then also, I had secured additional money through the WIP program, uh, you know, the, the emergency uh, program earlier, including a quality loss adjustment. And um, you know, that that would uh, address corn as well. So, so far, the assistance would would be for corn, which, of course, is used for the production of ethanol, but nothing directly yet on ethanol, so that's something that's under discussion. How soon do you see the CARES assistance being dispersed, and and what about payment limits? The plan on the time is that USDA planned to and did get the rule over to OMB. OMB has to approve it now, and as soon as they get it back from OMB, then they'll uh, start the sign-up process through the FSA, and USDA hopes to have that going in May so that payments could actually start getting out you know, later in May, early June. CCC limit has been at $30 billion since back in the 80s. Is it time for an adjustment? American Farm Bureau says that just even adjusted for inflation would put you at $68 billion. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And so already I'm working on it with people like uh, my good friend John Bozeman uh, in the Senate and uh, reached out to Colin Peterson on the House side, I, I talked to Debbie Stabenow and others, and um, the, I, I really think we should increase that CCC limit for their borrowing, which we then, you know, refund through our uh, Ag Appropriations Committee. I had suggested fifty billion. I uh, had been working. As a matter of fact, at one point, had that in the in the CARES Act uh, that in the negotiation with the House that was uh, reduced, but um, the. Uh, yeah, I think we should increase it, and we've talked anywhere from, say, $50 billion to, as you say, the uh, inflation-adjusted figure of $68 billion. So is that something that you could do through an assistance program, or do you have to wait for a new farm bill to do that? No, no, we could do it through an assistance program, sure. So there's been some debate on whether farmers and ranchers and the ag industry ought to qualify for participation in, per se, the PPP or the IDLE funds. Is there any question on your part? No, matter of fact, we work to make sure that they can. Originally, under PPP, I'm not sure they could. We work to make sure they could so that farmers and ranchers can participate under the Paycheck Protection Program. They were not allowed to participate under IDLE, the Emergency Assistance Loan Program, because the – and remember that both of them have a grant aspect. Uh, in the case of IDLE, it's uh, $10,000. Uh, as well as a, a low-interest loan. Farmers weren't able to participate in that because USDA had their own disaster loan program. And so other than aquaculture and some things, farmers weren't eligible under IDLE. But we were able to work with Treasury and the Small Business Committee in the Senate, and we got that changed. So uh, when we passed the supplemental assistance, the additional $310 billion uh, for Paycheck Protection uh, Program, we also added another $50 billion for idle, another $10 billion for the grant piece, as well as clarified that uh, farmers and ranchers do qualify not only for PPP but the uh, idle loan program. I wanted to revisit for just a moment. Obviously, there are those who are talking about payment limits and wanted to make sure that the limits that were put in the Farm Bill applied to assistance here. I think the Secretary suggested that he could see a reason for adjustment. Have you had discussion about what those numbers should be? You know, there's been a lot of discussion with producer and producer groups. And some, as you saw, you know, you saw a letter go in where they wanted no payment caps. And the initial proposal had a payment cap of 125000 per commodity, 250000 per farmer. Um, and 
you know, I, I knew that that would likely be adjusted just based on my sense of the conversations with USDA, but also just the, you know, the, the, the public input we were getting from producers and producer groups and, and obviously members of Congress as well. Some of that push was for unlimited, but the challenge there is we only have, you know, the food purchase portion is $3 billion, so we have $16 billion this round. And so, you know, that's the challenge with, with not with having no payment limits. So my sense all along is we were going to end up, you know, higher than the original proposal, but, but still have a payment limit. There were some members of the House of Representatives calling for as much as $50 billion to be offered for agriculture in this new round at which uh, House Ag Chair Mr. Peterson uh, mentioned withholding his support for those funds unless the congressional committees of agriculture had a role in how those funds were being spent. Do you understand the call for guardrails, and and if Congress is involved, does that slow the process, or should it be? Well, yeah, that's that's the thing. As you've seen on the House side, Representative Austin Scott has quite a few members bipartisan that have put forward a proposal for another $50 billion in assistance to our producers. And it was after that that, as you said, Chairman Peterson in the House came out and said, well, yeah, but, you know, the the authorizing committee is going to have to have some some input on how this gets handled. He also, I think, recently came out and said, you know, and then there also has to be something to make sure we're getting adequate equipment and, and uh, protective gear into the processing plants, uh, testing and all that kind of thing. So... A number of those things. Uh, I think you're going to see the same thing from Chairman Roberts and Ranking Member Stabenow in the Senate. And so, yeah, I think the idea is how do we, you know, provide additional assistance and then have some guidelines under which it goes so you can get the broad-based support and include it in, uh, you know, whatever we do next. This is a bigger picture question, and I offered it to Congressman Adderholt uh, a couple of weeks ago on this program. And he responded, when the house is on fire, you don't necessarily worry about the price of water. But with the debt situation that we have in the country already an obstacle, just how deep are Uncle Sam's pockets, and and can we afford to or can we afford not to spend money here to support agriculture and the economy as a whole? Very important question, because we've already put out almost $3 trillion, and we have to be very cognizant of, of you know what that does in terms of our uh, debt and deficit. So absolutely, what the first order of business is to make sure that we utilize the money that's already been authorized and appropriated as well as possible. And that's what we're trying to do, you know, with the $23.5 billion that we included in the coronavirus uh, bill for uh, agriculture. And remember this first $19 billion, that, that doesn't utilize all the funds. There's another $14 billion that becomes available in July. So First order of business for that very reason is that we've got to be fiscally responsible here as we do it. Meet the need, but do it as, as you know, as fiscally responsible way as we can. That means really making sure we utilize the funds that we've already appropriated as well as we can and then look and see what else needs to be done. President Trump and uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin have suggested perhaps measuring how this first influx of funds uh, affects the uh, economy before appropriating even more funds. Can we afford to wait, and and how long do you see this second round of discussion might take? Yeah, I'm not sure in the timeline yet, but remember, it's it's not waiting per se, and that we're still deploying the funds that have already been expended. So, you know, it's deploying those funds as well as possible while we determine what else needs to be done. So I, I see it not waiting as much as, 
getting the funds that have been authorized and appropriated out in the most effective way while we assess what should be done next and then and then taking the steps to do that. For livestock producers, you've mentioned this, the loss of processing capacity has been uh, the biggest concerns. How do you evaluate President Trump's executive order? Well, I think he had to invoke the Defense Production Act to make sure that we keep that those processing facilities going. But at the same time, you know, through this uh, coronavirus task force, he's provided resources to help in terms of uh, testing, uh, protective gear and equipment, um, funding under the CARES Act that goes to the states. I think the Treasury's provided the flexibility so those states that have processing facilities can you know, utilize funds to deploy into those processing plants to try to protect workers. And uh, and even, you know, with transportation to the plant and or housing and some of those kind of things to try to maintain help maintain that social distancing that's so in, important. So I think it's both making sure that we identify that that's, that's essential and essential workforce that needs to be out there working not only so that the consumer has food in the store, but think about those producers and their animals. What do they do with those animals if they can't take them to the processing facility? That, that creates a very serious problem with handing those animals as far as euthanizing them and that kind of thing. And so, um, you know, it's, it, it really is vital, and it's part of that, you know, food chain that we've got to maintain. To your point on that, what are your thoughts about on those who are calling for FEMA or some other agency to compensate farmers, first of all, for animals that are lost, and then second of all, assistance in the euthanizing of the animals and the disposal of the carcasses? So that's a really important issue that we have to make sure that we can address in terms of helping our producers. So first and foremost, that's why it's so important we keep the processing plants going and help support those workers and recognize that it's an essential function for our consumers to, uh, to feed our people, but, but that it's so vitally important for the, the rancher as well, and that if there is a situation where those producers, those ranchers can't take their livestock to market, to a processing facility, then we've got to help them and make sure that they can euthanize or, or deal you know, with the livestock in, in a, a reasonable way. And so it's not only the assistance through USDA to do that, but it's also the assistance through the CARES Act. For example, the $150 billion that was provided to the states in the Coronavirus Relief Fund, Treasury has now put forward the regulatory flexibility whereby states can use that money to help their ranchers euthanize animals if they have to. So the Speaker of the House suggested talking about this next plan to think big. Is that the same thought that you might have in the Senate? I think our thought in the Senate, certainly on my side of the aisle, is how do we meet the need as well as we can, but that we have to be fiscally responsible, use the funds that have already been appropriated, and then figure out what else may need to be done, but that you know we have to be very thoughtful and recognize the cost here and try to figure out how we can get the the uh, economy opened up that's the real solution and get that economy going again and do it safely uh but the but the sooner uh the better how do you address liability protection in this so that's one of the things as you know uh leader mcconnell has laid out there is that we've got to have liability uh, reasonable liability protection uh, as part of the next round of legislation. And I, I think, you know, that, that is something that we will 
really work to make sure is in there. Uh, again, so important for farmers, ranchers, small businesses across this country. You've talked about the spending thus far, and it's an exhaustive program in the different areas that have been supported. But with regard to food assistance, while the schools were still in session, they were being utilized to be able to provide food to kids during what would have been a normal school year. But now we're headed into summer, and certainly this uh, this situation weighs on for folks that uh, still haven't been able to go back to work. How much of debate will be here on food assistance, whether in, in new programs or through existing SNAP programs? Yeah, you know, clearly that's going to be part of it. I mean, you know, there's two sides of the coin. There's the production side, our farmers and ranchers, and then there's the, the feeding side, you know, the food assistance we provide for low-income individuals uh, through WIC and through uh, the, the school feeding program. And so clearly that's going to be part of the discussion, too. And, again, it goes back to what we've been talking about is how do we make and, – and I think we are going to try to come up with uh, new ways to provide that distribution uh, to do it more effectively, particularly with the constraints we have with the social distancing and sheltering in place. So I, I definitely think that is going to be part of the calculation in terms of figuring out how we can do more there. Let's move over to some other areas. How do you feel about the calls for the Department of Justice to investigate uh, cattle prices and price manipulation? Well, they need to do it. matter of fact, I'm working with Deb Fisher, and you'll see more out to get DOJ to look into what's going on in the uh, cattle markets and the pricing and the concentration that we have, as well as the uh, amount of cash sales that need to be there. So Senator Rounds had uh, obviously made that push earlier. I joined with him. Now a number of the uh, attorney generals from the states have come out, and Senator Fisher, myself, and others are pushing it as well. So that clearly we need to get DOJ in there to investigate and make sure that you know we make changes and improvements to that to the market for our ranchers. And the other thing is the uh, USDA, too. You know, we, we've been working with uh, Secretary Purdue, with Assistant Secretary Iba, and others to not only investigate competition, transparency, pricing, but what can be done about the concentration to make sure that our ranchers are being better treated. Because right now, you, you know, you see what's happening. And I get that there's supply cons- or there's processing constraints because of the coronavirus, but even still you're seeing very high prices for protein in the store, but it's not translating for our our, uh, ranchers. Some have raised some questions now in the midst of this crisis about Chinese ownership of big companies in the food production system, Smithfield for one. Was that a concern for you before, and is it something that we should take a look at now, or is it too late? It was a concern before. It is something we need to take a look at and something we need to do something about, absolutely. So what do we do with China? There was the difficulty with uh, trade spat a year ago. Phase one appears to show a detente uh, in that particular area. But now there's questions about how their government and they handled their coronavirus pandemic. What, what do you do here? Yeah, you know, that is a tough one because at the same time, remember, phase one trade deal also uh, requires China to buy $50 billion a year in egg products from us, which is very important again, for our producers. So it's not an easy one, um, but clearly we're going to have to find a way to make some changes, and and <laughs> we've got to do both, right? We've still got to be able to sell product to them, but we can't be in a situation where they have that much control, particularly in that, that much concentration in the food markets. Well, at the same time, whether we look at 
drug manufacture or other things that you know we can't put ourselves in a situation where we're as dependent as we have been on China. In the midst of this pandemic, it looks as though USMCA will go into effect on July 1. Is that a sigh of relief, and how does that affect North Dakota? Yeah, it is. It's good. It's you know, it, it's important. In case of North Dakota, a good example of how it affects us is it prevents the downgrading of wheat. We send wheat up there and have for years, and then they downgrade it to feed quality when we have the highest quality wheat growing anywhere. And so that's just one of those uh, anti-competitive practices that we've been subject to that USDA that the uh, USMCA will uh, eliminate. Now it takes a little while to get that done, but having the agreement in place is the first step to getting that done. So there's still some debate about a product of the USA label in meat. It has roots back to country of origin labeling. How do you see that, and what definition should it ascribe to beyond a voluntary program, or as long as it remains voluntary, is that acceptable? Well, it, it would sure be good if we could come up with a way so people know when they're buying beef if it is, in fact, born, raised, and slaughtered in the United States. And that was the objective with Cool, and, you know, we tried to get that done we lost the case in the wto you know i understand that there's people on both sides of the equation but for the rancher and the consumer it seems to me it would be very good if we could come up and and it would be good if we could work through usda to get it done but actually get some more people where it's clear that it's either born raised and slaughtered in the united states or or not and and of course that that's the objective in terms of of uh labeling in a way that that benefits both our great ranchers um, but also the consumer Senator Hovind, you have your hands full along with other leaders in Washington, and we appreciate your service for the industry and for the country right now. Thanks for taking time from your schedule to talk with us on this edition of Open Mic. Senator, it is Open Mic. You've been here before, and you know you get the last word on the day. Well, just that our farmers and ranchers have had a tough go. They've had low commodity prices. They were targeted by China in the trade negotiations. They've had some really, really tough weather, and now the coronavirus. And so it's it's been a tough cycle for them, but they've hung in there. They've done what they always do, which is raise the, the highest quality, lowest-cost food supply in the world. And so we need to help them through this stretch, and we're working to do that. And then uh, I am hopeful, though, that we're getting into a better cycle where they can get back to selling into the markets, not only here at home but abroad. Uh, no one does it better than our farmers and ranchers. Our thanks to North Dakota U.S. Senator John Hoven, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer Crop Science and the Habitali app. Learn more about how you can help monarch butterflies at farmersformonarchs.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.